0: If you would please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We are looking at verses 1 through 10. And our focus today will be, uh, you know, 3 and 4 maybe, maybe 5, maybe not. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Please pray with me, and then we'll read the word of the Lord. Father, we come before you. May our lives be worthy of the amazing calling and privilege that you have given each and every one of us. Father, may our hearts be stirred by the words given to us by our brother Paul, the power of your Spirit in us. May we be overwhelmed. And yet, Father, may we walk worthy. Father, help us to have ears to hear. Help us to have eyes to see. And Father, help us to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Father, as we look at this in this day and this age, Some of this seems so far and abstract to us. And yet, Father, it is there. It is there. Help us, Lord. Help us to stand in the faith that you've allotted to each of us. And, Father, may we cherish the privilege of your precious bride, your church. May we cherish the privilege of the brothers and sisters in Christ that we have. And, Father, look with an eagerness at what is ahead of us, what is coming. Thank you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. Verses 1 through 10. And working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. But now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, giving no cause for offense in anything, so that the ministry will not be discredited. But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance, in much afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit... In genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right and the left, by glory and dishonor, by evil report, by good report, regarded as deceivers yet true, as unknown yet well known, as dying yet behold, we live, as punished yet yet not put to death as sorrowful yet always rejoicing as poor yet making many rich as having nothing yet possessing all things. I call this section, the joy and sorrow of ministry. And I shared with you that when I started this book several years ago, the key to it is is ministry. The whole book is dealing with ministry. What does it mean? Uh, We have a perverted view of ministry today in this country. We believe that if I can get enough people sitting in the pews, then I can go out and hire a bunch of ministers. Okay, the word means servant. All right, that's real straightforward. But the truth of the matter is, is that if you're saved, you are a minister. You are a servant of the Lord God. All right, and part of that is in the body of Christ where you have been placed, you are there for the equipping and the strengthening of the saints for the work of ministry. All right, so when you hear someone say, I am a minister, they're basically trying to say, I am a servant. All right, but we have it in our minds and it's just been driven in there for centuries that a minister is the preacher and I'm the guy in the chair. And the church growth models now is that if I can get enough of your butts in the chair, then I'll get more ministers to take care of you. Okay? That is a warped view. Okay? It is not true. Okay? Which makes it a lie. All right? And one of the things that I see missing in the body of Christ is the willful servant. The willful servant. And then I get into a text like this and start teaching you what a blast this thing is. And everybody says, we need more people in the church so we can get more ministers. (laughs) Because I don't want no part of that action. Um, And so one of the things the Apostle Paul shows to us as he's come out of chapter 5, we work together with him. That's the privilege. We're working with God. That, that should rock your universe. I mean, I am a co-labor with he who spoke existence into being. Yeah, that just, I, whenever I roll that around in my head, hey, I get an echo. <laughs> That's amazing to me. And yet I think about that, that he has set me aside. He has set believers aside and he has empowered them with his spirit for the task he deems necessary. That is so cool to me. That is so cool to me. Because I'm working with him. The second point there is the passion. The passion we urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. I this is vacant somewhere and I don't know why because he makes the statement at the acceptable time. I listened to you and the day of salvation. I helped you because you and I are working with God. It should be a passion that the people that we are involved with do not receive the grace of God in vain. All right. But you're surrounded by people. You don't believe me. I'll tell you what. You go ask a person who claims to be a Christian. And lives like the lost. And you ask them, how do you know you're saved? And you watch the response. And yet, it's easy for me to look at him and says, have you received the grace of God in vain? Just yesterday, was it yesterday? Yesterday, I think it was yesterday. I met with a young couple. Uh, I know their fa- her father very well. Uh, he's a good guy. Um, he's pretty clueless about spiritual things. Um, he's come to this church a couple of times. Um, I don't want to mention him in case he shows back up. But um, you know, he 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 says, "Well, I just can't get up early enough." But I watch Charles Stanley every Sunday, and I said, "Well, cool." <laughs> you know, I, I'm I'm glad to hear. He says, "So that's sort of what I do." I said, "So you send him money?" Well, no. Oh, all right. So you don't call that church, though, do you? And then he holds his head sad and says, Now, this is a biker, okay? So, you know, no, not really. So, anyway, his daughter wants to get married. All right. And he says, I want you to meet my daughter. She wants to get married. So, all right. So, I, I show up and I'm sitting there chit chatting with them. And, and, and I said, Well, congratulations. I think it's totally cool. Her fiance is there and all the rest of it. And we're just sitting there. And they said, Well, would you be interested in doing the wedding? And, and you know me, beat around the bush. No, <laughs> not interested. And they're, well, but aren't you a pastor? Yeah, a mm-hmm. pastor. Yeah, that's what I do. But it's, you know, I, I only do the weddings of those who attend the church. Well, you wouldn't do our wedding. Well, that's usually what no means. Okay, and she said, well, you know, I'm a Christian. I said, really? I said, well, that's cool. And, and uh, then she told me, she says, she lives in Chicago. She wants to come back here, get married in Colorado. And I said, well, that's, that's cool. I said, you know what? If you invite me, I'll come to your wedding. I don't have any problem. But I'm not going to do it. And then it comes out, you know me, that her and her fiancé live together in Chicago. Mr. Bashful. I said, why are you getting married? They said, what? It's because they're not doing this until next July. And I'm like, hey, you could be grandparents by then. But uh, uh, I said, uh, I, you know, I said, by the fact that you two are living together and it doesn't bother you, okay, tells me that you're not Christian, Okay, man, I can just ruin a happy time, can I? Okay, and then I'm not here to condemn you. And I I made sure that that I I ain't condemning you. But you know what? I have a passion that the grace of God is not in vain. And just because you celebrate Jesus' birthday doesn't make you a Christian. That's like staying in a church makes you a Christian. No, it doesn't. That's like standing in a garage makes you a car. No. Okay, but Paul's thing is, I don't want you to miss this opportunity. We are in what theologians calls the age of grace. Absolutely, I agree. And you know what? People ask me, well, when can't you be saved? When you die. When you take your last breath, you're done. Okay, but up until that time, you still have a possibility. All right. So these are the kinds of things that you have to deal with. But I moved in last week dealing with this power, this power, verses three through seven. Here's what he says. Giving no cause for offense in anything. The key phrase there is in anything. Why? I am a minister, a servant of God. I am a minister of the gospel. I've been called by God. With a message of reconciliation. And Paul's telling everybody look real close at my life. I want you to see me because there is nothing in my life that would bring offense to my mission. All right? Paul understood that this privilege and this passion. And what he was there for. And he's given us in this book 13 chapters of quote unquote ministry. And he says you need to look at this. And you need to look at it really hard. Paul wanted people to look at his life. He wanted them to look as close as they could. Because he knew they would find nothing. Look at it. Why? Because there's nothing that can cause offense. Okay? Because when you reject Jesus Christ, Paul is saying, it's all going to be on your head. I don't want somebody running around saying, well, that goofy Paul, if he hadn't have done this, I would have accepted. Paul is basically saying, no, I want no part of that. You look at my life and you will see I am a servant of God. The ministry of reconciliation, and he was faithful to it. He says, I want you to look for moral weakness. He says, I want you to look for doctrinal weakness. And as I look around today, I see moral weakness and doctrinal weakness at an all-time high. Never, ever have I seen it to the degree that it is right now. Never seen it. Okay? But if you really think about it, they're two sides of the same coin. If I have strong doctrine, my morals are going to stand to it. But you can be morally weak Because your doctrine ain't there. Paul understood that you don't lower the level. Paul knew what was at stake. Paul knew that he was an apostle to the Gentiles. Paul understood this. See, Paul understood that Jesus changes lives. Jesus is the one who sanctifies lives. Okay? And Paul is basically saying right there in that little phrase giving no cause for offense in anything, he's basically saying to the Corinthians, he's basically saying to you and I today, what does my life say? If somebody looked at my life really close, would it give them cause to be offended by my message? Then the end of verse 3 and 4, You'll see what he didn't do. I didn't in verse 3, I didn't do anything to cause offense. But this is what I did do in verse 4. See, look at what he says. This is so good. Because remember what he says giving no cause for offense in anything. Now drop down to verse 4. And in everything, commending ourselves. You know what that means? Commending ourselves. Getting a badge. Getting a medal. I'm commending myself. In what? In everything. We are commending ourselves as servants of God. Changed lives are seen. And it starts with the minister. Listen, I I hate to break the news to you. But it is extraordinarily easy to see what is important to a person. You don't have to spend a lot of time with them. It is very evident in their lives what is important. And because you can see what is important in their lives, then you know what it is they believe. What they put their faith in. I've told you guys multiple times that I have never met a person who doesn't have faith in something. Okay? And... What you believe in, what you put your faith in, is seen. It's evident. You know what? I have seen people who have good theology. I have seen people who were good at interpreting scripture. But when you spend a little time with them, you realize that they have no character. I remember when I was young in the faith, I was in uh, construction and um, had started going to a church. um, Just sort of hit and miss kind of thing, but I was going to a church. It was a fairly good sized church. And uh, I got some of the guys there were in construction too. And I noticed that they were the same crooked people that I dealt with before I got saved. Okay, and here's here's the thing that i that I say about that if you're in construction, you know what a change order is, okay I bid this job at this, okay, and all of a sudden, I start losing money on the job. I will put change orders in, and you can make up stuff okay and and, and it goes around. Uh, I was an electrician, and I charged thirty bucks a hole. Okay, so anywhere there's a switch, an outlet, a light, a fixture or anything, it's $30. Okay, and I remember this house, this big house I was working on, and they had a a wall that come, a little knee wall thing that was part of the kitchen, and on the end of it, the drawing had an outlet. So I put me an outlet in there. All right, no problem. Well, the lady came in and, and it was a stupid place for an outlet. But by law, it had to be there. I mean, it was out in the middle of nowhere. And um, I mean, it's not like you're going to take your blender and plug it on the end of your counter. And um, she says, well, let's move it around here. So I moved it around front. Put it in there. $30. Ah, let's put it on the other side. I move it on the other side. $30. I moved it one stud over. $30. I moved it one stud this way. Thirty dollars. That outlet ended up on the opposite side of the stud where it originally started, and cost her two hundred and sixty bucks. Okay, but my contract said thirty dollars for every hole. Okay, now I watch guys do that, but they would do it that. Well, I'm just changing this fixture to this. I need a change order, and these guys are claiming to be Christian. Okay, but they were as crooked as anybody else was. Paul is telling us, in everything, as a servant of God, be careful of what I don't do and be careful of what I do do. Because that's a true servant. That's a true servant. I'm thinking about getting a car, a new car. All of my cars have got like a billion miles on them. That could be a hyperbole. Good. And... You know, I'm looking at all kinds of things. I think that every pastor should have a Corvette. Uh, I have gotten no one to buy into that. All right? So I'm looking around. And I got to be careful. Okay? I was looking at a, a car yesterday. An SRT Dodge Charger with a 6.1 Hemi. It was used. But I thought, bright yellow... If that isn't pastoral, I've never seen pastoral. 22-inch wheels all around it. Dude, it's got traffic ticket written all over it. But I have to be careful what I go by. i probably end up with an Isuzu <laughs> or a Hyundai. Okay? But it, you just watch out i got people who got mad. You ride a Harley? Why do you ride a Harley? I don't want to push it. That's <laughs> not that hard. But you have to watch out. Okay, now listen. If I, I, you're not going to make it so that everybody can't stumble on something. Okay? But there are things out there that are biblical that you have to be careful with. Because I watch people who said, how do you know the true servant? You know, I've had people since Matt, uh, by the way, he says, hello, um, has left. He says, well, what are you going to do about another elder? I said, well, you know what? God was providing elders for since the birth of the church. I'm really not that concerned about it. Okay. and then I thought about this text. There's several texts here, but but I thought about this because when we took over, and started teaching in Russia a number of years ago, it was amazing the men that they brought to us to teach. Do you know that these men that we were teaching had to show service and faithfulness to the church for 10 years? 10 years before they were even considered. Try that in America. They had to show that they were working. Now, listen, we look at paper. Did they graduate? What was their education? Do they have a reformed theology? That's the stuff that we look for. Are they popular? What's their personality like? Have they ever been published? Have they been successful in their present ministry? I call that, do they have a religious empire? Do they have fame? Are they prosperous? Are they doing okay materially? Okay? That's what we do. There's a website that you can get on right now. I don't know what it is called. That you can get on and find out what churches are looking for pastors and what pastors are looking for churches. And you just go through it. It's comical. It is hilarious. And then I back away from it and realize that it's tragic. Because what the churches are looking for is a CEO. They're not looking for a shepherd. And then I look at these shepherds. They're looking for a business. I was approached by a church a number of years ago. And they had a television program and all of this other stuff. And they got this big old homjommy building and everything. And, and And then I started asking them some questions. and And I found out the history of their pastoral staff. And it was tragic. Had to do a lot of uh, what they call it, internet porn, and I'm sitting there going, hey, "Wait a minute, the shepherds are doing what?" And you got a TV show, and you got a broadcast show, and you got all of it. Well, but we got rid of him, and we're ready for somebody else. You're looking hard, ain't you? I mean, that's silly to me. But when you run that thing, the body of Christ like a business, what are you going to get? A business, You know what, a, the single thing that I look for, yeah, it ha- would have to be for an elder or a deacon um, or somebody who wants to serve. Okay, and it's right here in this verse. In everything, commending ourselves as servants of God. Okay, but do you note that what's next? It's the only one there that's singular out of the list. Not only is it singular, it has an adjective added to it. Okay, it would be bad enough if he says a servant of God with endurance. But he says a servant of God with much endurance. I go to Russia and find out that they're sending me men to be taught because they have showed their faithfulness through ten years of much Endurance. That's what I look at. That's what Paul looked at. It stands singular and it's a part that defines what will come after it. It's much endurance. In what? In everything. Then he gives you this list. And the list has got positive and negative. But regardless whether it's a positive or regardless whether it's a negative, you must have much endurance. In all of these things, much endurance. The servant of God has much endurance. The faithful minister is commended. It gets a medal by the ability to survive the hostilities of the enemies of truth and remain faithful with much endurance. Now, enduring the hostilities, I, I don't know about you, I classify that as the negative side. You know, it's, it's the true servant, the true minister is never wavering. You will not find them wavering in purity. You will not find them wavering in knowledge and patience and kindness. That's the positives. Four and five are the negatives. Six and seven are the positives. But the commendation is still the same. The commendation is based on much enduring. Through it all. Listen, it doesn't matter the attacks. It doesn't matter the difficulties. You endure. Now listen, I go through this, and, and if I take it back to the original language, which is a, one of probably the most slow, tedious things that I have going on in my life, there is a serious bunch of emotion in these verses. He's telling us in ministry of reconciliation that the name-it-and-claim-it people ain't working. Okay? Ain't happening. You jump into this thing. Listen, I want if you don't get nothing out of this message, I want you to get these next two things. One. Number one. We do not never, ever make demands on God. Got it? Number two. God makes tremendous demands on us. And that is a foreign object in the church today. As ambassadors, we are loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not here to seek greater comfort, but we are here to seek greater endurance. We are here to look like Christ. And let's be realistic. He endured. Paul is defining ministry that is willing to make the sacrifices, endure the hostilities. You know what? You're not going to believe this. You know, I look at this and say, well, imprisonments and beatings and all that. That ain't happening. How about being unpopular? Live as the gospel demands, not as the culture suggests. I know what my finances can't afford for a car, but I have to watch and think about it. What I know what the culture should says I should get. I think they're leaning more toward the Hemi. But I'll take that, what is it, V something that Corvette's got. I'll settle for the lesser. Okay. But I share that because I'm going to pay attention to what am I going to get. What commends the loyal ambassador is not popularity, but it's endurance. monet, Okay, the literal translation for monē is triumph under difficulty. Endure with a triumphant attitude under all hardships. I've seen people who want you to know that they're enduring. You know which ones I'm talking about? It's all for Jesus. You seen him, huh? I'm taking a vow of poverty. You're about a hundred pounds overweight. I don't think so. But you've seen him, and I've watched him. My wife is my cross to bear. Not in But if you keep telling her that, she might kill you. To triumph under difficulty, to endure with a triumphal attitude under the hardship. That's what it means with much endurance. That is what commends the minister. Okay. Now the list here of much endurance, and then he defines endurance. And he starts off with the negatives. Okay. And you, and you need to look at these because it's easy for us to think about the apostle Paul and his imprisonments and being stoned and a few other odds and ends and all the rest of it. But that's not exactly how this thing plays out because it says, in everything, commending ourselves as servants in much endurance. Okay. Then he starts getting plurals. Okay. First, in affliction. Okay. The word affliction in the original language means pressure. Pressure. Okay, this can refer to physical, emotional, spiritual, but it has to do with a crushing experience. In some cases, it's physical, emotional, and spiritual all at the same time. That's afflictions. But the faithful minister can commend himself when in much endurance can put up with the physical, emotional, spiritual, crushing experience. It's the pains of life. It's the day-to-day. Paul in Acts 20 said he must go up to Jerusalem. He didn't know what was awaiting him. The prophet said that it wasn't going to be a, a vacation trip. But it says in his text that he was bound in his spirit. Bound in his spirit. So there's much endurance in this pressure. Afflictions. But there's also much endurance in hardships. Okay, hardships, um, (laughs) general difficulties. Um, It has to do with struggling in a hostile environment. But the the key to it is there is no relief. There is no exit. Okay, that's hardships. It's, It's like the valley of the shadow of death. Ain't a person in this room that doesn't go get to go through that. You're going to get to go. Some of us have already been through it multiple times. And when you get into it, there is no relief. You just know I'm in the valley. His rod and his staff is going to come for me. And he is my shepherd. And I'm going to come out on the other side of this thing. But you're not going to get relief because most of the time when we get into trials and tribulations, our first request is relief. Instead of saying, take me through it. Then he says distresses. This is the one that really bugged me. Because in much endurance in distresses. The word in the original language means confined. Okay, now I don't know about you, but I have been confined before. Um, Shall we say against my will. Okay, but that ain't what this word means. This is a tight confinement, and it's so tight you can't turn around. Okay, um, it's it's a narrow thing that is frustrating, and and it has in mind that I have no way to get comfortable. No way to get comfortable. Paul had this pressure. He had a burden that was binding his heart. It was attacking his spirit. It wanted to crush him. He had no relief. And he was absolutely no way to get comfortable. And there was no way to turn from it. So he was commending himself. As a servant of the Lord. It's unrelenting on the heart. Okay now. These all have one thing in common. They're external. But look at the rest of these. Affliction, hardship, distresses. And then he goes into beatings, imprisonments, and tumults. Um, beatings, whippings. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? It, it means to be... Um, Punch to the effect that your body swells up with bruises and beatings. Um it, it can include whipping, uh, using of a whip or a cat of nine tails or something to that effect. And then imprisons imprisonments. Um, I'm pretty sure that nobody here has been imprisoned for the gospel. But it's just what it means. The one that's kind of funny, not really, that's ironic, it says tumults, tumults, okay? That has to do with riots, okay? Um, Civil disorders, Um, I call them today mob violence, okay? You see the Apostle Paul in Acts 13, Acts 14, Acts 19, Acts 21, and all of those dealing with riots, He had had riots about him in Damascus, in Jerusalem, in Antioch, in Iconium, in Lystra, in Thessalonica, in Berea, in Corinth, and in Ephesus. Those were just by the writing of 2 Corinthians. And you know what? He wasn't done. And he says, I commend myself as a servant of God, enduring much. See, Paul's faithfulness and the impact of his ministry was directly barrent on his endurance. It is very obvious that Paul was not in the ministry for wealth or popularity. I don't think that he was doing it for his health. There was nothing that you could look at that Paul would commend himself that would classify as earthly success. And yet he had probably the greatest badge of honor, the greatest commendation. He endured suffering. And you know what is cool about him? When, I, when, I used, when they used the word hupaminas, okay, it's this attitude. That says, I don't care what, I'm I'm in so much pressure right now, so much heartache, and so much pain right now. And I'm in a place, I can't even turn around and get comfortable. But I have much endurance even in that. And even the Apostle Paul, when he's in that, you know what? He never changed his mind. He never changed his ministry. And he never changed his message. We would call that he never blinked. He never flinched. He never held back. He never grew weary. All of these in this list, he still ain't done. Because, see, these... Would be part of the internal struggle that you have because you are serving the Most High God. It would be part of the effect of the society would have on you because you serve the Most High God. But then all of a sudden he adds in here what I call self-inflicted. He did this on his own. It was by his choice. The end of verse five there. See him? In labors, in sleeplessness, and in hunger. Labor. It's a interesting word in the original language. Work to the place of complete exhaustion that there's nothing left. Ever done that? If you're really honest with yourself, that's pretty rare. That's pretty rare. I remember uh, we used to put up hay uh, back east where it was nice and muggy. You didn't irrigate nothing, um, because you got four cuttings of hay, um, for no apparent reason, um, uh, but there the humidity is such that you had to pick it up in the field, and you had to stack it up on a trailer, uh, we call it a hay wagon, but then you had to haul it into the barn and throw it up in the lofts, and then you went back out in the field again, and, um all of the cousins we were the only group of kids that have ever walked the planet that were desperate for school to start again because we knew we would get out of the hay fields and you we started at just at sunrise about 5 a.m. okay Uh, usually if the tractor pulling the hay wagon had lights on when you started out in the field okay and you worked until either the field was done uh, and it's all stacked up in the barn or it got too dark and uh, and all the rest of it. But even when I did that, I didn't work to the place of exhaustion. I mean, you cruise over to granny's house and have your great big old feast of food. And they, we, they used to have big jugs of ice water. Remember the gallon glass milk jugs? Uh, maybe you got glass milk jugs. Well, they used to have glass milk jugs. And uh, we would have those full of water, and you sit there, and we'd talk till 10, 11 o'clock at night. The cousins would, and we'd go to sleep on our living room floor, and back at it again in the morning. But we didn't work ourselves to complete exhaustion. I don't know if I've ever worked myself to complete exhaustion. And I've worked outside in some some hot and <laughs> where's the air conditioner in the hay field? Okay, but uh, you know, we've t- but it's hard to say, but that what this word means, this word means to labor to the point of complete exhaustion, that there's nothing left. But then he says sleeplessness. And I think about the Apostle Paul running from house to house, person to person, day and night, working sometimes stitching leather so he could make tents so he'd be able to fund his enterprises and yet never stopping his own personal study and never stopping teaching anybody who would stop and listen to him. Day in and day out, nine. Listen, he didn't have to have all night prayer intercession for the church. I've done that. There's times I woke up at some silly hour, one, two o'clock in the morning, wide awake, God saying you need to pray about something, and my response to him has always been the same. You're up, you pray. Okay, but then I realize I ain't going back to sleep until I do this. So I get up, go sit in my little chair, and Father, here we go. How many of us in this room can say I honestly have my distress over the church daily? Paul did. Paul did. That passion for soul. working, no sleep. Now, then think. You know, I think about this because he's laboring. He got aching muscles. Where's he? Where's Paul going to get a Tylenol? He ain't going to. You do that kind of labor, and all of a sudden, you're laying there at night. Have you ever woke up going, oh, my back, my hip, my knee, my head, my whatever? And you'd get up and what? Grab your handful of ibuprofen? Ah, oh, wait about 30 minutes. I should be fine. Paul couldn't do that. So He had sleeplessness. But then all of a sudden, you see there, hunger. In hunger. Listen, Paul did not have to put himself in a place where he didn't have to have any food. But you know what? He put himself in a place where people who did not know Christ, he could name Christ to them. And some of them places didn't have food. You know, I've read the text that says, you know, it is honorable for a man to want to be an elder. It is. It's something to achieve over. But I'm going to ask you a simple question. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? That's some serious stuff right there, people. In much endurance in all things, in afflictions, the pressures that's going to come upon you physically, it's going to come upon you emotionally, it's going to come upon you spiritually. In hardship, just flat out miserable. In distresses, imprisonments. I can't turn around. I'm in a fight right now that I can't go forward. I can't go backwards. I can't get comfortable in this fight. Beatings. Riots. Unpopular. And laboring to the point of exhaustion and sleeplessness because of what you're having to deal with and the passion that you're dealing with, it, even to the point of sometimes being hungry. And yet, through all of this, Paul uses it to measure his ministry. I commend myself. I commend myself. He was not popular. Listen, Paul's not popular in the world. Romans wanted him dead and Jews wanted him dead. And you know what? And if you're really honest with Scripture, there's a handful of churches he wasn't real popular with. Paul, at this point, proved, His endurance. And he wasn't done. He knew what he could, what he knew what could be to him because of what God had called him to. He understood. To the point that he could say, My life is not dear to me. I'm being poured out as a drink offering. I just want to finish this ministry. That the Lord has given me because I consider the surpassing value of knowing Christ and anything else is just rubbish. Paul says, I know what it means to have. I know what it means to have none. And yet he was content in all. Ask yourself that simple question. I'm a Christian today. I will leave this earthen vessel and spend eternity with God. And with just that, I am content in all things. Paul understood Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge Him. He'll make you path straight. He understood this momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparisons. He understood it, and therefore he had much endurance. The suffering of this world he understood can't compare to the glory to come. The end of Paul's ministry. Think about his ministry. He had nothing but a jail cell waiting for the removal of his head. That's what he had to show for his ministry. And yet, I can commend myself as a servant of the Most High God. He had run the race, he had fought the fight, he had kept the faith. So, what you have right there through the end of verse 5 is the negatives. He had endured all of these negatives, negatives, these hostilities. He had faced the enemy and fought. That is what is seen in Paul. That is what is seen in a faithful minister. He endured the negatives. But, there's positives. He gives three lists. He gave us... Three sections of three negatives. He gives us three sections, three words, and three sections of positives. But you have to wait till next week. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, to your glory and praise, thank you for my brother Paul. Father, thank you for this text. And Father, uh, even in the negatives, there's an encouragement. Lord, I I just pray that... uh, you will raise up men in this congregation with much endurance. And the ladies too. But right now for the men. that They're willing to understand that the commending of themselves as servants of God takes much endurance. Help us, Lord. Help us to understand this privilege. Father, fire the passion. And Father, show us the power that we who are called by your name will walk in a manner worthy of this amazing calling to your praise and glory. Amen.